Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. I'm glad I'm here. I, I want to talk about second chances and how much a part of the fabric of our lives and reality, and then just kind of go deeper, like how can we stay on top of that? How can we tune into that? And just, just talk from the heart. So let's just begin with kind of like a, a very foundational basic idea, which I'm sure all of you know, but it's, it's really important to kind of have in the forefront of your consciousness, which is that everything really is new. And what I mean by that is that the world is constantly being created and recreated and recreated, like every, every nanosecond. And in fact, you know, my, my dad used to say this. I don't know why. He, he was a psychologist. He wasn't in real estate. But, but one of the things that he liked to tell us was, or ask us was, do you know where the most expensive real estate in the world is? Now, I don't, I don't know if this is true anymore, but I guess back, back when he was telling me it was, I guess it was in Hong Kong. And what he loved about, about this was that he said in Hong Kong, they measure real estate by the inch, right? So, so that's okay. So I, I noticed something between, what about how precious is the real estate between, in, the, in, in Shacharis, between Baruch Hu and Shema, right? Like, that's really precious real estate. I mean, there's not, it's short, like every letter, every word counts. Do you know there's one phrase there that's repeated two times? You may have said it thousands of times and never even noticed that it's, that it's repeated. And that's that God is constantly creating and recreating the world. Isn't that interesting? That in, in such a, a small little area between Baruch Hu and Shema, that the Chachamim felt that it was necessary to repeat that phrase two times. And I think on one level, what's going on is that from the first time that you said it, just be mindful that the world has already been recreated. Right? Because you, you may have forgotten. You may have forgotten. So, so that's actually weaved into the fabric of the universe itself. And let me, let me go deeper into that. Breishis, you know, everything, the whole Torah is contained within the word breishis. And breishis is sort of like popularly translated as in the beginning. But I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that a, a, a better translation for breishis is out of beginnings, meaning to say that the entire world is literally made out of the fabric of beginnings, which means every single moment is actually a beginning. So it's not just like a Hallmark greeting card kind of thing, like, welcome to your new beginnings. It's actually the truth. Rabbi Shimon Green put it so beautifully one time, like so funny. He was talking about the fastest gun in the West. He says, you want to see how fast I am? You want to see again? <laughs> right? It went by so quickly, you didn't even see it. That's what it's like with the world being created and recreated. So when Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says that when you get very, very frustrated and you get to your end, you get to a breaking point, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go like this. I'm going to begin again. I'm going to begin again. And there's something magical about that. 
I mean, it, it, by that, I mean, it actually works. And why does it work? Because it's not just psychological. You're actually consciously tapping into the physics of the universe. Because there really is a beginning going on. And you're tapping into that beginning. And you're riding the wave of that beginning. So that's just basic. And that's something that everybody needs to know. So let's go a little bit deeper. What are the forces that really try to undermine that for us? Because if we know what the force is that tries to uproot that idea that every single moment is a new beginning for us, then we can counteract it. So the ultimate diagnosis, I think, everything goes back to the Garden of Eden, and everything goes back to the Eitz Hadas, eating from the Tree of Knowledge. And you see, it's heavy, but it says it right in the Torah itself, that when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we brought death into the world. Now, there's a certain type of knowing which is very liberating, but there's a certain type of knowing which is kind of the opposite. And I heard Reb Shlomo say this, that sometimes if you think that you know, say, your wife or your husband or your kids so well, that that's actually the end of the relationship. You know, there's some people who think that, you know, don't even finish your story. I already know what you're going to say. You know, don't even tell me about your day. I already know what you're going to say. That type of quote-unquote knowing, is that's, that's a type of death. You know, we do that with God also. You know, God, I already know what you're going to do. I already know what's coming down. And, and that's, that, that's really problematic. That's problematic. I'll tell you a true story. It happened to me. It was like slightly traumatizing. When I first went out to L.A., my father wanted to introduce me to people. I was in a new city, and they were very kind. They offered to have me at their house and really very generous in that way. But the difficult part was they were fighting like cats and dogs with each other. And it was me and this older couple, basically. So, and I was younger at the time. And I was in the car with a woman at, at, this, at this point, and the man was walking toward the car. He was maybe... 10 yards from the car, and she said to me, look, he's going to touch his nose. He's going to touch his nose. Just look, look, look. He's going to touch his nose. And she was, like, really, like, in this, like, almost, like, slightly crazed way, but holding it together. And you know what the amazing thing was? He never touched his nose. <laughs> she knew him so well. She knew him better than he knew himself, except, you know what? She was wrong. Except she was wrong. I was privileged in that Reb Shlomo married my wife and I. And one of the blessings that he gave us under the chuppah was, he said he blessed us that we should always surprise each other. Right? Not like jump out of a closet at night, you know? Not, not, not that type of surprise. But that we should always realize that we don't know the other person. Because that brings life to a relationship. Right? When you realize, oh, you know something? There's so much left for me to find out. Okay. So, I want to go deeper still into this idea because if we've diagnosed the problem, hopefully we've given one diagnosis anyway, which is this idea of knowing. But not, not knowing in terms of a closeness. Right? Knowing in terms of like a tree of knowledge knowing. 
where you think you know, but you don't really know. You know just enough to just kind of cut off the relationship. But that's not the real type of knowing. That's this fraudulent type of knowing. So, so I want to tell you a story. Let's talk about what's, what the fixing for that is, okay? And this happened to me yesterday. So this is a brand new story for me. So I went to the, I went to the hotel yesterday, and I just, I wrote this book. It, it's not out yet. This is, this is actually not the book. It's just a, it's kind of like a prototype of the book. It's short teachings, like just like one page teachings. Maybe it goes on to another page. And, and the way that I wanted people to sort of interact with this book, which is why I wanted to actually make a version of it, is, is I, I wanted people just to be able to open up at any page to the book. And, and, and that's, you know, maybe what they need from the book. Maybe. I don't know if this book has the schus to be able to operate on that level, honestly. So... I brought, this to the, I brought this to the old city yesterday. There was someone who I wanted to give it to. I didn't see them. And I went to the hotel. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I'm going to try it at the hotel with this book. <laughs> see what happens, right? I'll just see what happens. I'll just open it to a page and see if it actually is relevant to what's going on right now. So I kind of kind of put my thumb on the side of it, and I, and I wanted to stop to where I didn't feel anything. You know what I mean? I didn't want to feel like it was like, oh yeah, I found this moment in the book. I just wanted to feel like, okay, let's just see if what happens. So I just kind of thumbed my my along the uh, things, and then when I felt nothing, <laughs> I, I, I opened it up. And w- what page did I open it up to? It was a piece about davening at the Kotel. And let me tell you something, there's only one mention of the Kotel in the whole book, and if you had asked me if there's any mention of the Kotel in the book before, I would have said, no, it's not mentioned in the book at all. I wasn't even aware that that was in the book at all. And, and it, it opened to this teaching about davening at the Kotel. So, so what was the teaching, right? <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a teaching from Reb Shlomo. And, and he says that there's two kinds of sins. He says there's retail sins and, hotel, and, and wholesale sins. He says, What's a, so a retail sin would be a smaller sin. A wholesale sin would be a bigger sin. He said, what's a retail sin? He says, it's Friday night at Shabbos. And, you know, instead of doing Shabbos, the person's out at a club or a bar or whatever it is. Okay. He says, that's a retail sin. So what's a wholesale sin? So it's going to be something that's bigger than that. What's a wholesale sin? He says, a wholesale sin is that you're davening at the hotel. <laughs> And you have like an amazing experience. And then after that, after you finish having your amazing experience, you say, okay, now back, now back to real life. He says, that's a wholesale sin. 
What do you mean back to real life? Like what you were just doing, that, that transcendent moment isn't real life? Not only isn't it real life, but that's not even realer than, the, than getting into a, your car or walking or going to the office or making an appointment or whatever it is you have to do. Like that's, that's the realest. That's, that's the realest. What do you mean now back to real life? You're turning reality inside out if you think that the mundane is actually the real. I have a teacher, he said, you know, there's some people who, when they think about Olam Abba, that's the realest thing, and then this world isn't so real. And other people, this, this world is the realest thing, Olam Abba, it's not so real. And then there are other people, this, real, this world is real, the next world is real. It's a good question to ask yourself. What's, 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 the, what's the realest world for you? What is, what is your ultimate sense of reality? Where, where do you live? Because that's going to determine a lot of what your life is, you know? I'll tell you another crazy story. We're getting to the, to the solution of the tree of knowledge, by the way. We're still on that subject. <laughs> Just telling you a couple of stories. Tell you another story. Actually, you know, maybe I'll tell you, maybe I'll tell you the, the story leading up to this story because it's one of my favorite stories. It's just a crazy story. So I, by, my profession is writing for television, write and produce for different television shows. And I was on this television show. It was called Third Rock from the Sun. And uh, there was a new writer on this show and he, he'd come into my office every once in a while and right when we were starting out and he'd ask me just how things are going. But he wanted to talk about Jewish stuff. And sort of my, my rule of my policy at, at the office is I never sort of like campaign on Jewish subjects. But if anyone wants to talk to me about it, I'll talk to them for 10 hours straight about it. Right. So if they come to me, that's something else. So he was coming to me and he was starting to ask some questions. Anyway, I got it into my head that I wanted him to read this way out story by this South American writer called Borges. Okay, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, he's, he writes these little short stories and they're like meditations on infinity. And he wasn't Jewish, but he studied Kabbalah. <laughs> and one of his books of collections is called Aleph, after the letter Aleph. A very interesting guy. Anyway, he's no longer with us. But he wrote this amazing story, this mind-bending story called Pierre Menard, author of The Quixote, meaning Don Quixote. All right, so how does this, what, what, what is this story about? There's this fictional character that he created, Pierre Menard, and Pierre Menard has read the book Don Quixote, but he read it a while ago. And his ambition as a writer is to write the book Don Quixote. <laughs> Not to write a book as good as Don Quixote or like Don Quixote. He wants to write the book Don Quixote by Cervantes. Right? In other words, he wants to write a book that already exists. And so he sets about to actually start writing it. And he goes through drafts and drafts and years and years of work and he succeeds in writing Don Quixote by Cervantes. <laughs> and then 
Borges, the author, calls his work a far greater triumph than Cervantes' work. So it's, it's, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy story, right? By the way, I sort of put a, a, a Taurus spin on this, which is that, you know, one of the things that we're supposed to do, one of the 613 mitzvahs, in fact, it's the last, the last mitzvah that, that Moshe gives over, is to write a Sefer Torah. Isn't that interesting? That we're supposed to write a Sefer Torah. In other words, we're supposed to be what is. <laughs> We're supposed to become what is. Kind of a parallel. But anyway, so, so I've had a few meetings with this, this younger writer who's interested in Judaism, and I want to expand his mind. So I, he's got to read this story. I walk into his office to recommend this story. He's not there. I've never been in his office before. So I walk in, the room is empty, and I see on his desk... There's a book. It's a book of stories, short stories by Borges. Then I notice there's a pencil in the book. I pick the book up to where the pencil is, and it's on the first page of Pierre Menard, author of the Quixote. At that moment, I knew he was going to become Shomer Shabbos. And in fact, he moved to Yerushalayim and he became an Orthodox rabbi. I knew that that was going to happen, even he, at that point, he had hair down to his shoulders and wasn't observant at all. Because the story that I just told you is literally impossible. Do you understand that? It's literally an impossible story. It's impossible. It's impossible. But it happened because it happened to me. I know that it happened. I didn't dream that story. It happened. Why am I telling you that story? Because do you think you can actually know anything? <laughs> Do you think you can know anything? Okay, so the truth is, is that I wanted to tell you this next story, but that was too good a story not to tell you. But the next story involves this person, which is why I told you that story. <laughs> so, so now he's married. He met his wife, actually, at our Shabbos table. And he's married. And his oldest son now is about to be bar mitzvahed. So how can I not fly in for the bar mitzvah, right? I fly into Muncie. This is in Muncie. And it was an overnight flight. I had gone straight from my Purim Suda, which, like, I just downed this bottle of wine and ran into a cab for the airport. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Whatever I could lose, I lost. I left my computer on the airplane. I left my hat in the car. I, I, what, I left my shoes in the place I Whatever I could lose, I lost, okay? Anyway, I, 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 I go from the airport to, to the shul, and Davin Shachris, I took an overnight, and I'm just not thinking clearly. I, I put in his address for an Uber. The Uber driver comes. Now, here's what I didn't know. He lived six minutes away. I didn't know that. So I, I say, the, I get into the car, the Uber driver says to me, 20 Piamenta Road. And I said, no, 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 20 Pomona Road. He goes, oh, oh, oh. Okay, he starts driving. And I told you, I'm really tired. I fall asleep. I wake up a half an hour later 
Remember, it was six minutes away. I didn't know it. I wake up as a half an hour later in another county. Okay? So he wakes me up. He goes, we're here. 20 Piamento Road. I said, no. I said 20 Pomona Road. He goes, oh, oh, oh. I said, you have to turn around. So we turn around and and we get to the kind of the main highway of this little place. It's like a little road. And I see a big sign. It says, Valhalla Cemeteries. He drove me to my parents' gravesite. I had no idea I was even in the proximity. Do you understand? I fell asleep in a cab. He drives me to another county, to my parents, who I hadn't been there in a few years. Not only that, but my son was getting married in a few months, and there's a tradition to invite your parents. And so I was now there to be able to invite my parents. Not only that, but my son, usually when I talk with my son, I call my son, almost 100% of the time. I get to the, my parents, my phone rings, it's my son. <laughs> and he's there to invite them. What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? You see, I told you every single moment is now. I'm learning this safer. It's a, like, I, I don't really have permission to learn this safer. Because, like, I think that you have to know more than me to learn this safer. It's called the Pischei Sharem. It's by Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber. He was a student of the Graz, and he had his sort of Kabbalistic tradition. And what he's doing in this safer is he's taking the Kabbalah of the Gra and of, the, of Rav Chaim Vital and of the Ramchal, and he's kind of putting it all together in a synthesized way and presenting it in an ordered form. And in the Pischei Sharon, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says that in, you know, the upper heavens, in, you know, if you know a little terminology, you know, above the four worlds in this area we call Adam Kadmon, right? right? Really very exalted areas. In the area where Hashem created Zman, time, that is the same place where he created the Yetzirah. Isn't that interesting? What is the connection between the creation of time and the creation of the Yetzirah? I'll just give you one idea. You can, you can have a lot of ideas on this subject, a lot of answers, but I want to give you one idea. Because the Yetzirah tells a person you're running out of time. And it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. You know, we don't even have this word death. We say someone is nifter. That means they left. All we have is life. A very important idea for everybody to know. All we have is life in Torah. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There's life in the body, 
followed by life outside the body, right away. From the perspective of the person, from our perspective, it's a little bit different. But from the perspective of each and every one of us, all that exists is life. Again, there's life inside the body, followed immediately by life outside the body. It's only life. All there is is life. And then when we get to that next stage, then we're beyond time. So all we, we're never out of time. We're never out of time. And every single moment is a new beginning. I want to go even further. So what did we say? We said that every moment is a new beginning. And then we said that the, the thing that tries to undermine that idea in our consciousness is, is knowing. That when we think we know our own lives, when we know possibilities, when we know each other, when we know Hashem, when we know so well, basically that just closes off relationships. And it's not true. Because the reality is we don't know what's going to happen next. I told you, I didn't even know there's a piece about the Kotel in this book. I'm sitting at the Kotel. I open up to the piece that I didn't even know was in the book. I recommend a story. It's a totally obscure story. It's sitting on the guy's desk. I didn't know it. I fall asleep in a cab, and the next thing I know, I'm reunited with my parents. We don't know what's going to happen one second from now. The world is filled with possibilities and filled with life. So how do we stay in that place of not knowing? How do we stay in that place? So this came to me on Shabbos, and I'm still working with this thought because I think this is a wild thought, okay? So this is Parshas Lech Lecha, and I feel so privileged to be in Israel on Parshas Lech Lecha, right? I, I Lech Lechad, you know, so it's like, Thank God, you know, here I am. So if you say, okay, well, how did the Jews get to, how did the Jews get to Israel? I know, Parshas Lechacha. Hashem says to Abraham, go to, actually, you want to hear something amazing? He doesn't say go to Israel. He doesn't say go to Canaan. He says, go to the land that I will show you. Which is, you want to talk about staying in the moment. Abraham didn't even know where he was going. Like, Every moment was new. If you don't know where you're going, every single moment is new. Okay, that's the answer that 99% of people would give. But if you just kind of go to the end of Parsha's Noah, it's the second to last Pasuk in Parsha's Noah. What does it say? Avram's father, Terach, was on his way to Canaan. And he, you know, it's a play on words. It, it's a play on words in English, not in Hebrew, but in English, it's a play on words. He settled in Haran. He settled. He didn't. He, he said, "No, I don't even know if that's second best. It might be like five thousandth best. I don't even know." But he settled. He didn't get to. He didn't get to Israel. But can I tell you something? The Torah could have just said. And Terach took Avram and Sarai and whoever else, and he went to Haran. It could have just said that. Those are the facts. The fact that the Torah recorded, that Hashem recorded, that he wanted to go to Israel, that it was in his heart to go to Israel, that's a schas. 
That's discussed. It didn't have to include that. Do you understand? That means that there was something deep about Terach. You know, we want to say that Abraham is kind of like a new creation, and that's, that's true. But Terach is sort of creating this context that I don't think should be dismissed because Hashem doesn't dismiss it. Because Hashem didn't have to include that he was on his way, that he desired to go to Israel. God didn't have to include that. Okay, so now what's the, what's the vort? And how is this going to help us to stay in the moment? Okay, we're getting there. But this word kind of blew me away a little bit. So I don't know anything about Tarach. So when I absolutely am at the end and I don't know what to do, I say, okay, well, let me take the gematria. <laughs> at least maybe that will give me a window into something. So the gematria of Tarach is 608. When does Avram become Avraham? When the letter He is added. That's the number five. Is this wild that 5 plus 608 is 613? Is that wild? Have you ever heard that? No. So, on the, so, so what is, in other words, on the one hand, on the one hand, there is a context for everything we do in life, and that's our parents and our mothers and fathers before us. On the other hand, though, Abraham is brand new. You have to make everything new. We're going to get to the newness in a second. But I want to tell you something, and this, this might be the best thing that I tell you and the easiest thing to remember. So if you're asleep, wake up right now. Let me tell you how most people go through life, okay? So look, let's say this is the future and this is the past. <coughs> So I'm going to tell you how most people go through life, okay? They're dragging the past into the present. This is how they go through life. I'm just dragging the past into the present, the past into the present. Whereas the other way to do it is here's the future. And the future is unwritten because I don't know what's going to happen next. Because every moment is a new beginning. So how about just walking through life like this? On the level of not knowing. So now let's get into what this hay is from Avraham. Well, you could say a lot of things for the hay. It's the, it's the Torah. It's the five books of the Torah. It's the five levels of the soul. But how about this? Because this is the answer that I think is most relevant. It's the five senses. In other words, what was the greatness of Avraham Avinu? He intuitively was keeping the Torah. That's that five. He was totally fulfilling his soul's potentials, right? It says Avraham, Avraham. You know what it means, Avraham, Avraham? That means the Avraham below became like the Avraham above. So his soul totally got maxed out in the best way. But what was Abraham's greatness was that he was able to intuit from the world with his senses, with his five senses, the fact that there's a God running the world. And so that, I think, is our greatest recommendation right now for how we stay in the moment by being, sensu 
by, by, by focusing our senses on absolutely the newness and the beauty and the infinity of the world around us. I'm going to wrap it up, but just want to make a couple of short points. In this sefer that I mentioned, the Pischei Sharm, he says, why did God create the world? He said, for two reasons. The first reason is order, in order to create free choice. And he's talking about Simpson in particular. Why did he conceal his presence in this world? So the first is in a concealed environment, now you have free choice. Angels don't have free choice. They see like the oneness of God. Not all of God, but they see the oneness of God. So they, they can only choose God. But in a place of darkness, we have the ability to bring so much nachas, so much light into the world by choosing the right thing. But now listen to the second reason. The second reason that you already know. The second reason is incredibly deep. He says that there is this level of zman in the world. The finite realm the time-bound realm. And when you invest yourself and you invest your soul in a moment, you lift it beyond time and you make it infinite. We are in the infinity-making business. He only lists two reasons. And that's one of the two reasons that every time you do a mitzvah, every time you show love or compassion for another person, you transform time and you lift it up above the realm of time and you turn it into infinity. And we have this unique ability to transform the finite into the infinite. It's unbelievable. And that's what we can do with our senses. That's what we can do by being here and present. You know, Reb Shlomo said something. He said, if you, want to measure, if you want to measure in science how big something is, how, 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 how high something is, how far is it removed from the ground? He says, but by Torah, by Kedusha, by holiness, if you want to know how big something is, the question is, how close are you to another person? Like by science, they measured by distance from the ground, removing yourself. By, by Kedusha, by holiness, it's all about how close you are to another person. That's how it's measured. And so I'll just end with this thought. It's one of my favorite Torahs in the entire world. It's from the Kutzker Rebbe. I love this Torah. I love this Torah so much. He says, it's a very... Big mitzvah. Techias HaMesim is a very big mitzvah. He says, but you know what's an even bigger, bigger mitzvah? Bringing the living back to life. <laughs> you know? So, so the way that we can bring ourselves back to life, to bring ourselves back to life, is by tapping into the moment, is by allowing ourselves to be in this exalted realm of not knowing, Staying in this place of not knowing. Because we don't know what's going to happen next. And there's, you know, probably one of the nicest things that's ever happened to me in my whole life. And it's, it's, it, 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 it doesn't sound like, it, it sounds like a, a lousy story and then it suddenly turns good. I was in this ice cream place with a really narrow way out the door. <laughs> 
And there was someone standing between me and the door. And it was someone, God bless her soul, but she, you know, you had to have a lot of patience for this person, you know? And, and I was in a place where I was like just hurrying and I was like, okay, I, I don't have the patience right now. Okay, what, what am I going to do? There's only one way out the door and I have to walk by this person. So I walked by, I walked by her and she looked at me and she said, she gave me one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me in my entire life, you know? She said, you have no idea how many wonderful things God has waiting, is waiting to give you. <laughs> you have no idea how many wonderful things God is waiting to give you. And it's like, so that's, that's the end of what I wanted to share with you. I, I just, I, I bless us all to just be beyond our Caleb to be beyond our Caleb and to be able to really just to see behind, beyond the here and now. The here and now wants to just surround us and swallow us up. But there is a greater, greater, truer, truer reality that surrounds us at every single moment. And we just have to give ourselves permission to enter into it because that opening is happening and it's happening and it's happening. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.